0: Last Tuesday, Ukrainian President Zelensky asked Canada's parliament Can you imagine the bombing of the Ottawa airport? Can you imagine that someone is laying siege to Vancouver? Can you imagine the famous CN Tower in Toronto being hit by Russian bombs? This is our reality. Zelensky has been speaking to other NATO allies as well, and he's been calling the West to aggressively ramp up its efforts to counter Russia's constant, brutal attacks against the cities in Ukraine. A week earlier, he made a very similar address to the United Kingdom's House of Commons, in which he echoed Winston Churchill's most famous speech, We will not give up and we will not lose. We will fight until the end at sea, in the air. We will continue fighting for our land, whatever the cost. The message was clear. England under Churchill wouldn't bend to Hitler, and Ukraine under Zelensky won't roll over for Vladimir Putin either. And thus far, Ukrainians have stood firm against the invaders, but their resistance has come with a terrible cost. And so... Last Wednesday, President Zelensky delivered yet another impassioned virtual speech from within his war-torn country, this time to the United States Congress. Once again, he pleaded with America to close the sky over Ukraine, to help enforce a no-fly zone so that Russian aircraft and weapons would be challenged militarily if they entered Ukraine's airspace. And in that address, he shared a graphic video that does more to summarize the awful cost of this conflict than anything else I've seen. affects you it makes me angry it makes me compassionate and it makes me so very grateful to have the privilege of meeting together with all of you tonight in a free country a country that isn't undergoing a travesty and a tragedy like that right now Volodymyr Zelensky has been uh, warmly received in the West He has been welcomed everywhere by standing ovations and commendations for his courage. But Ukraine is still fighting Russia essentially all alone because there's a key difference this time around. You see, Winston Churchill held out hope that the United States would join World War II, which it ultimately did. But Zelensky has been told definitively that The United States will not raise arms against a nuclear-armed Russia because that could set off World War III. And everyone is scared to irritate the Russian bear and escalate the conflict. On Friday, a smug Vladimir Putin celebrated the eighth anniversary of Mother Russia's annexation of Crimea. He addressed a pact Moscow Stadium. We haven't had such unity in a long time, he proclaimed, and the crowd, most of them forced to attend by their employers or by the government, they cheered their preening president. He spoke from a massive, transparent, bulletproof cage clad in a $15,000 jacket costing 25 times the average monthly salary in Russia. And the people cheered because they were too terrified not to cheer because that Russian bear has sharp teeth. Tonight, a Bible study night, an ordinary Wednesday night, with our world literally... Teetering on the brink of World War III, obviously I come to this pulpit to address the subject of Bible prophecy. Not because I am an expert, but because I am a pastor. And it would be pastoral malpractice to be living in the last of the last days and never say a word about it. I fully realize that tonight's message will be highly criticized from all directions, from those who think the church should keep its nose firmly out of politics, from those who think pastors are foolish to speak of current events in their sermons, from those who will disagree on some minor point of interpretation, and most tragically, from those who simply want to drown out the incessant drumbeat of Bible prophecy and hope that the rapture of the church just won't happen in their lifetime. But Jesus himself, no less, pinpointed a particular generation of people who would witness a rapid series of astounding events all culminating in his second coming. It was Jesus who predicted false prophets and religious leaders who would deceive the masses. It was Jesus who said there would be wars and rumors of war. That there would be severe racial tension, nation against nation, or in the Greek language, ethnos against ethnos. It was Jesus who prophesied and predicted increasing rates of famine and disease and earthquakes in many places. Now, I know, and you know, the Bible's critics will protest. But these things have always happened all throughout human history. So how in the world could they be signs of the end times? But in saying that, they betray their own ignorance of Scripture. Remember that prophetic signs are like labor pains. As the time of birth gets closer, the pains get more and more frequent and more and more intense. Paul wrote... For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Paul explained why our world is in such a mess, why this planet is in such chaos, why there is such violence and hatred and, and just all kinds of immorality and perversion. He explained that the very creation is groaning and travailing, waiting for something to be birthed. And that something to be birthed, thankfully, is God's eternal kingdom that we have the privilege of being part of. And then Paul went on to say, and it's not only the elements of creation, but we ourselves also. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Ghost. Even we, ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. Nobody said life would always be easy. Just all endless days of sunshine and beds of roses springing up everywhere the moment you became a Christian. When you become a Christian, you still have to live in this world. When you become a Christian, you still may face difficulty, pain, sickness, and all of us will eventually face death. But there's a difference because after death for us, there's the adoption, there's the redemption of the body. This is not the end. I I feel like in the last few years, just the age I was born and the age I am feels like we've lost a terrible amount, an awful lot of our elders, preachers and saints and pastors and leaders, and I miss them dreadfully, but I think to myself every once in a while, but it won't be long until we all get together and we see them again, and that brings me great comfort. Jesus said that in the last days, however, believers would be hated and persecuted and even killed for their faith. He said that offense and betrayal would cause many to lose their salvation. And because there would be such open iniquity, Jesus said that the love of many people would wax cold. And in that kind of spiritual climate, which by the way is our kind of spiritual climate today, only those who endure to the end will be saved. That's exactly what Jesus said. So I've made up my mind. I don't care what I have to walk through, climb over or Bear up under. I don't care. I am going to endure to the end because there's no more important goal in my life than making heaven my home and taking somebody with me. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. The problem, of course, is Jesus didn't tell us the time. He told his disciples specifically and emphatically, Of that day and hour knoweth no man. So if you like to set prophetic dates or you like to listen to people that do date setting, that is absolutely pointless and worthless. Jesus made a second important point in Matthew 24 when he said, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus told us that people would be busy with life. They'd be preoccupied with pleasure. They'd be lulled to sleep with entertainment. Jesus was emphatic declaring the day that I return will be just another normal ordinary day I want to stand here tonight and just emphasize in case you've slid off into too much comfort in all of this COVID nonsense we've been through for two years here's what I need to remind you Jesus could come at any moment Jesus could come tonight before you pillow your head Jesus could come this week Jesus could come before we have another service in this room Jesus said that he would return when the signs of the times were happening more frequently and with more intensity than ever before. But he also said that people wouldn't even notice because they were too busy or too happy or too preoccupied or too successful or too content or too distracted or too worldly. And he was not addressing those comments to sinners He was talking to his own disciples when he said, I'm coming back and you best not get distracted. I'm coming back and you best not get your eyes on things of the world. According to a comprehensive study by Lifeway Research, only one third of Protestant pastors believe in the rapture of the church anymore. Even fewer in non-Protestant denominations believe in the rapture. But brothers and sisters, hear me well. Jesus talked about the rapture and so did the apostles. The Bible still teaches that there will be a rapture And the apostolic church still believes that Jesus will return to catch his bride away. Just because you're not expecting it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. And that's why Jesus ended that discourse with a passionate plea. Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man Cometh So just about the time you think it couldn't happen for a long time, Jesus said that's just about the time that it's probably going to happen. One out of every 30 verses in the New Testament in your Bible mentions the subject of the end time or of Christ's return to earth. There is nothing more important in your life than to be ready. Hebrews says, so Christ Was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them, who? that look for Him, shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I just want to ask somebody, is there anybody in this wonderful church that's looking for Him to come back? You haven't forgotten in all your busyness, you haven't left it behind in all of your studies and all of your education, you still got it in your spirit, Jesus is coming back and heaven helping me and hell can't hinder me. I'm going to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Oh my. No matter what it costs you personally, you must be ready for the rapture. It is life's most important appointment and you cannot miss it. The bear is a widespread symbol for Russia and it has been used in caricatures and political cartoons and news articles and even in dramatic presentations dating all the way back to the 16th century. It's a long-standing symbol for Russia. It's certainly not intended by the Western world to be a flattering comparison. The implication in the image is that Russia is big and brutal and clumsy. However, the Russians themselves use this image with pride, appreciating the bear for its raw power and its cunning. The bear cub Misha became their mascot at the 1980 Moscow Olympic Games. And that little cartoonish cub was intended to counter popular perception by putting up there a small, cuddly, smiling bear cub. U.S. President Ronald Reagan won re-election in 1984, and one of his very successful commercials opened with the line, there is a bear in the woods It suggested that the Russian bear could be very dangerous indeed, and that it would be wise to be prepared to counter Russia's aggression. Mitt Romney, a presidential candidate in the U.S., he was famously mocked by Barack Obama in a presidential debate in 2012 because Mitt Romney said, quote, Russia is, without question, our number one geopolitical foe. End of quote. But just last month, CNN finally admitted Mitch Romney was right about Russia. The bear was even adopted as the symbol of the United Russia Party, which has dominated political life in Russia for the last two decades. And their president, Vladimir Putin, is definitely a very powerful, brutal, cunning, and dangerous leader. And tonight, Russia is at war. Their unprovoked aggression against Ukraine shocked the world. But we really should have seen it coming. Because Russia has been building up military personnel and equipment along three sides of the Ukrainian border since this time last year. Russian officials repeatedly and emphatically denied that they had any plans whatsoever to invade Ukraine until they did invade Ukraine just one month ago. Vladimir Putin, who served in the KGB back in the Soviet era, has called the collapse of the USSR in 1991 the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. His unrelenting goal is to reestablish the old Soviet Union through military conquest if necessary. That's what the war with Georgia was about in 2008. That's what the occupation of Crimea was about in 2014. And make no mistake, that's what the invasion of Ukraine is about in 2022. Obviously. Christians with even a cursory knowledge of Bible prophecy, believers with any spiritual awareness at all, they are wondering where this current conflict fits with God's master plan for the end times. The question is, is Russia's current violent aggression prophesied in the scriptures? And to answer that question, allow me to just show you what we know for sure about the end times. Once the rapture of the church happens, the Bible gives us a fairly precise timeline. When Jesus comes for his bride and catches her away, believers will experience the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. And that's a wonderful thing. That's a blessed hope. But meanwhile... Here on earth, the Antichrist will be revealed and he will rule over this planet for a period of seven years, seven long, dreadful years. Now the first half of his reign will actually be peaceful for the nation of Israel But the last half of his reign, the last three and a half years, is referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. Because it will be a period when he persecutes the Jews viciously and violently. And God also pours out his wrath on the earth during that time. So that's why we call it the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation... The Antichrist will assemble the armies of this world against Israel, and only the Lord's intervention will save the Jews. From annihilation, and he will intervene from heaven. He will be riding on a white horse, and his church, his bride, his redeemed, his saints. We will be riding with him. He will return with his bride, interrupt the battle of Armageddon, defeat the Antichrist, rescue Israel, and set up his millennial kingdom. You can't even comprehend it. It's a thousand years of peace when our Lord Lord. Lord and Savior Jesus Christ reigns right here on earth. A thousand years. Earth has never seen anything so beautiful, so peaceful, or so magnificent since the Garden of Eden. But the Lord doesn't want anybody serving Him by force. So at the end of the millennium, He will release Satan from bondage in the bottomless pit and the devil will be allowed to be let loose on this earth once again for what the Bible describes as a short season. But humanity, we're so messed up, We're so rebellious. We want our own way so much. If you can imagine, after a thousand years of blessing and peace, and the Lord Jesus ruling and reigning right here on the earth, the devil will still be successful in deceiving all the nations of the world to war against God himself. Revelation chapter 20 records this battle, which is called the Battle of Gog and Magog. And that battle ends with the devil being cast into the lake of fire. And every human being who ever lived, man and woman, boy and girl, dead, alive, they will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. The only people who won't be there are the people who are in his bride. Cause we already got to heaven at least seven years earlier and we don't have to stand at the great white throne judgment. Can I tell you the difference? We stand at the judgment seat of Christ, where we are are judged for the works done in the body. When you go in the rapture, there's no doubt about you going to heaven. There's no doubt about you living in eternity forever. If you go in the rapture, you're good to go. But you will be judged for the works done in your body. And that's how we have different varieties and different degrees of reward in heaven. But I'm glad to announce to you that if you're ready for the coming of the Lord if you're ready for the rapture you don't have to worry about standing at the great white throne judgment and every thought and deed and work that you've ever done being judged I'm so glad that my sins are under the blood I'm so glad that my past is in the past because of the grace of the Lord Jesus I'm so grateful that I will never have to stand and have every little thought and motive of my heart weighed because I put it under the blood I don't care how long you've been serving Jesus. If it's been 50 years or about 50 days. If your sins are under the blood, they're under the blood. Keep them under the blood. Don't ever do anything that pulls them out from under the blood. You keep yourself pure. You keep yourself ready because the Lord is coming back and in one twinkling of an eye, in one split second of time, the redeemed are going to exit this planet and head through the skies and meet all the dead in Christ and so shall we ever be with the Lord I haven't grown too sophisticated to get excited about heaven I haven't grown too educated to become excited about the possibility of the rapture I don't care who doesn't like it who doesn't understand it who mocks it and maligns it I don't care the word of God tells me that Jesus is coming and that is the blessed hope of the church oh I wish you'd worship the Lord for a second (laughs) <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> ah. The tragedy of the great white throne judgment is that everyone who has not obeyed God, everyone who has no saving relationship with God, they then spend eternity in the lake of fire. Hell is real. The lake of fire is a real place. Now scripture tells us all of this. Once the rapture happens, we have a pretty defined, even precise timeline. But up to the rapture, no timeline. That's the challenge. Because up until the rapture happens, we don't have anything that we can say, well, it's happening three months from now on a Tuesday or two years from now when this happens in the world. We have no precise timeline leading up to the rapture. All we have to go on right now is something that we call the signs of the times. And the signs of the times, read your newspaper, watch a newscast, the signs of the times. If you compare your newspaper or your newscast or a website that has news on it, if you compare it to the scripture, it will let you know if you've got any sensitivity to God at all, that the signs of the times, wars and rumors of wars and famine and strife and ethnic violence, all of that is showing us by its intensity and by its frequency that we are getting closer and and closer to the rapture of the church, to the coming of the Lord. And that's why, brothers and sisters, the saints are getting a little bit restless, and the preachers are getting a little bit restless, and the church is getting a little bit restless because this is not the end. It doesn't stop here, it doesn't end here. And for all of you precious people that have said goodbye to somebody during COVID 19 over the last couple of years, and it's been so painful and so awkward, and we couldn't even say a proper Farewell in so many instances. Let me tell you, their life didn't end at a casket. Their life didn't end in a cemetery. If they're a child of God, you're going to see them again, and I believe soon. You're going to see them again, and I believe it could happen before we end this week, or before we end this service. We come to this building tonight, and we come in the midst of all the turmoil in our world. And I direct your attention to a passage of scripture that you may have heard about over the last few weeks ever since this war broke out a month ago. Because in Ezekiel 38 and 39, the prophet tells of another major war. Not the battle of Armageddon. Not the battle where Satan convinces all the armies of the world to attack uh, the Lord himself. Not those battles. He tells of another major battle in Scripture, Ezekiel 38 and 39. But he doesn't give a timeline for it. This battle is also called the battle of Gog and Magog because the very same spirit that will motivate all the armies of the world to declare war on God in Revelation 20, well, that's the very same spirit that will motivate a few armies from north of Israel to declare war on the Jews in Ezekiel 38, 39. But they are very distinct events. They're separated by at least a thousand years and also separated by several other characteristics and I'll spare you the time. So what has prophecy preachers agitated right now is that in Ezekiel's vision, The leader of this aggression against the Jews that is prophesied by Ezekiel, that leader and that aggression will come from north of Israel, out of the territory that we now call Russia. Every other country north of Israel is friendly to Russia, with the exception of Ukraine, which is right now being invaded by Russia. So today's headlines, I am not making the case that today's headlines refer directly to this battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39. But I am saying tonight that this conflict that's unfolding on our television screens and in our newspapers, this conflict could certainly define political parameters that will eventually bring about Ezekiel's prophecy. Here's parts of his prophecy. We'll hit a couple of highlights. Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal and prophesy against him and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, All of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, the house of Tugarma of the north quarters and all his bands, and many people with thee. Now Gog is a person. Whoever Gog is, he's from the land of Magog, and he is the leader of Meshech and Tubal, and also the leader of a confederacy of other nations like Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, Gomer, Tugarma. And others, whoever Gog is, he will lead an attack against Israel during a time when they are at peace. And that leads scholars to believe that this battle Ezekiel 38 and 39, which we don't have a timeline for, but scholars believe this battle will happen either just before the rapture or not very long after the rapture occurs, somewhere in the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. Here's what Ezekiel said. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, thus saith the Lord God, in that day... When my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shall thou not know it? See, they're at peace. We know Israel is going to be at peace when the Antichrist makes a peace treaty. So that's all around the time of the rapture, either just before or just after. And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. Now, don't let the ancient imagery throw you. We don't know whether he's talking about horses with armor or whether he's talking about tanks because God revealed this to ancient prophets in terms and in images they could understand. But here's what we know. Magog is a land in the north from Israel's point of view. Many Bible commentators interpret Magog as Russia. And indeed, Russia is straight north of Jerusalem. In fact, it's straight north of Jerusalem all the way up to the Arctic Circle. So in their view, Rosh refers to Russia, Meshach to Moscow, and Tubal to the country of Turkey, which is in between Israel and Russia. But regardless of the exact locations, and here's what I mean, somebody's gonna be watching and they're gonna take issue with some little piece of trivia in this message and they're just just gonna discount the whole thing because they disagree with a slight, portion of interpretation they don't realize something that bible prophecy is not given for speculation bible prophecy is given for motivation bible prophecy is to let us know that the time is getting short and something in your spirit gets restless and you realize this is looking bad this is looking like it's coming at us like a freight train it's not for speculation it's for motivation Regardless of the exact locations, there is no doubt among scholars that the general area of Ezekiel's prophecy includes portions of Russia, the former Soviet Union, and most likely some Muslim countries. And regardless, here's what I love, regardless of wherever Magog is or whoever its leader Gog is, This attack on God's people, the Jews, will be slapped down and turned back by God Himself when the Lord defends His people. Israel. I like the image that we read a moment ago in the last section of Ezekiel's vision that God's going to put a hook in their jaw. Don't you think that the leaders of this world can do anything that God's not aware of, that God's not in control of, and that God can't fix. God's going to lead them around like a fish with a hook in its mouth. And then God says to the prophet Ezekiel, and I will turn thee back. I'll leave only a sixth of your armies to survive. I will cause you to come up from the north points and I'll bring you up on the mountains of Israel." But when you get there in that little tiny sliver of a country, I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand and I will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. You will fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your bands and the people that are with you. And I will give you to the ravenous birds of every sword and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You will fall on the open field. Why? Because their army's bigger than yours? No. You will fall on on the open field, for I have spoken it, says the Lord God, and I will send a fire on Magog and among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. I don't care what you're afraid of in Bible prophecy. Here's what you need to remember. At the end of the day, at the end of every battle, at the end of every sign, this world is going to know eventually that God is God and there's nobody like Him. That He reigns supreme over the kingdoms of man and He gives them to whoever He wills and there is nothing that anybody can do about that. So yes, the Bible does mention Russia, although not by that name. It mentions Russia in connection with the end times. Ezekiel's prophecy definitely refers to a nation coming from the north to attack Israel. And only Russia qualifies. You see, after the Cold War ended, Russia lost its superpower status in any real way. And that made the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy seem very unlikely in some people's eyes. After all, Russia was really no longer a superpower. The Soviet Union had disintegrated. But recent events show that Russia is rapidly gaining strength. And many believe, many believe, that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is just the first step in its plan to restore its dominance in that hemisphere. It's also interesting to note that in the Soviet era, back in the days of the USSR, Moscow was solidly aligned with several Muslim countries in opposition to Israel. Since the breakup of the Soviet Union, Russia has not been idle. Russia has continued to make overtures to the Muslim world. And make alliances against Israel and against the West. So I will tell you this tonight. I'm not trying to set timelines. Because that's a fool's errand at the best of times. We have no timeline until the rapture. So you just need to be ready. But there will come a time. Maybe just before the rapture. Maybe just after the rapture. We're not sure. There will come a time when Russia in alliance with several other countries will amass a huge army against Israel and they will set out to plunder the Jews land that's bible Most of the other territories that are identified by Ezekiel, they don't have the same names as today, but you can trace it back. And most of those other territories identified by the ancient prophet, they are currently militant Islamic states with a violent hatred of Israel. Such a massive army pitted against such a tiny nation should result in Israel's absolute annihilation. But if you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, here's what you'll learn. After God supernaturally defends his people, Ezekiel prophesies that it will take them seven years to bury the dead. All of the world will marvel at such an unexpected, unexplainable victory. And then shall be brought to pass The saying of the prophet Ezekiel when he spoke on behalf of God Almighty. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they will know in that day that I am the Lord. Here's why we would take a Wednesday night to talk about writings from an ancient prophet and compare it to newspapers and newscasts that you've seen in the last 24 hours. Here's why. We could see that battle between Russia and her alliance and the nation of Israel. We very well could see that battle happen in our lifetime. And yes, it could happen even before the rapture. Russia's aggressive invasion of Ukraine could be setting the stage politically for that conflict that will spread beyond Ukraine, maybe into Europe. It could be that that bear from the north is on the move. It could be that God's prophetic clock is accelerating its countdown. And so what do we do, Pastor Raymond, in such treacherous, troublesome, tumultuous, terrifying times. What do we do? Here's what we do. We pray that's what we do. We pray for Russia. We pray for Ukraine. We pray for Israel. We pray for Canada. We pray for anything we can pray for. You pray for anything that's not nailed down. You pray over your family. You pray over your life. You pray over all your friends. You pray over our blessed nation. You pray over our city and our province. You pray for our brothers and sisters that right now are displaced by this horrible conflict. You pray. That's what you can can do. in fact it's the most important thing you can do because praying won't prevent prophecy you can't stop prophecy from coming because God said it was coming but I'll tell you what prayer can do prayer can give you a local blessing even while the world is collapsing around your feet and prayer can sustain you through dark nights when the world does just kind of get shattered in your location but prayer most of all keeps your heart soft and keeps keeps your heart ready and keeps your heart prepared for the rapture of the church which is going to happen soon. What gives you the right, Pastor Raymond, to stand up here tonight after all the elders that preached about the rapture, they're all dead and gone and we had their funeral and their bodies are disintegrated to dust and bones in the ground. What gives you a right to stand up here and say, soon. Have you read your newspaper lately? The elders didn't have those reports. Have you talked about technology lately? It wasn't possible in the elders' day for a ruler to just kind of shut down a nation's power grid by some kind of cyber attack from halfway around the world. It wasn't possible for one leader in the world to speak to the entire nation and the entire world and a country and a planet wonder after him. Guess what? That's been possible for a decade in our world. We are living in the end of the end times and the last of the last days. And you need to distance yourself from preachers and so-called Christians that want to tell you, just chill, just relax. You've got decades of time. You don't have to worry. I'm not worried, but I am restless. I'm not anxious, but I am anticipating. I want the Lord to crack the sky and take us all home. No more pain, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more hospitals, no more funerals, no more mortuaries, no more cemeteries. I'm anxious for Jesus to return. Oh, I wish you'd worship the Lord. I'm almost done. I wish you'd lift up your voice and give Him praise in this room right now. I know it's just a Bible study, but I feel the Holy Ghost in a Bible study. I know it's just Wednesday night, but Jesus could return on a Wednesday night, so I want to be ready. I want to be worshiping. I want to be praying. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes. Oh, I like that, church. That's that restlessness in your spirit. Just, you get a chance to let it out, and you just feel that this world is not my home I'm just passing through this could be the dawning of that great and glorious day when the face of Jesus will behold what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see we have a hope My hope's not in finances. My hope's not in houses or lands. My hope's not in this building or in this planet. My hope is in the rock, Christ Jesus. And one of these days, before you know it, He's going to crack the sky. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you're going to take one step on carpet and the next step in thin air. And you're going to realize all of a sudden, it was worth it to serve Jesus. Ha! It was worth it. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Whew. Ah. We have a whole lot of Holy Ghost filled people in this room. I wish you'd lift up your voice and pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is the voice of the Spirit. Yes, God. Uh. What do we do, Pastor Raymond, when the world's falling apart? And it's not just Russia and Ukraine. Sometimes my world's falling apart. Sometimes my home's falling apart. Sometimes my health and my home, my family's falling apart. What do you do when you live in tumultuous, terrifying, treacherous times? This is the Tomev family. Beautiful people. They are still in Ukraine because they will not leave their country. They've raised up apostolic churches and we've been praying for them. It's my friend, Pastor Sergei, on the left. His brother, Sasha, is on the other side, the assistant pastor. Their wonderful father and mother are in the middle. Powerful, precious people. I've only been in Kiev one time and I was so taken with the beauty of the people and the poverty and destruction that had been left by the Soviet years. It is heartbreaking for them to be walking through what they're walking through right now. The Soviets had destroyed their country once before. And it took years to build it back and they made Ukraine a beautiful country. And now it's being bombed to smithereens. What do you do when life falls apart? What they do, which I would recommend to you, is they worship God. Right through the middle of the devil's worst attacks, right through the middle of hell's worst plots and schemes, right through the middle of every devastating, depressing, dark thing that happens in their lives, they worship. All of the people in that photo, have had to evacuate their homes. They can't go back there. It's not safe in Kiev. They're in a different part of the country. They have not ceased working to try to provide resources, food, medical supplies to uh, other people in that country. Our church had a hand in sending some relief the other week, and I thank you for that. Thank Pastor Jack for bringing that need to you. They've been evacuated, but just a few days ago they gathered in a space that isn't home and they just got together and worshiped God. This is a very different way to close a Bible study, but I think you'll know why in just a moment because they're singing, I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. In darkest night, you're a friend like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. Can you imagine somebody singing that in a war zone with missiles flying and bombs dropping, tanks rolling? But they do. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. So with every breath that I am able, I don't know if I'll have a breath tomorrow, but today I do. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. It's a different way to end a Bible study. I'd like you to not just watch, but I'd like you to watch and worship right now. building. The power of God is here. The power of God is in this room right now. His goodness is running after you right now. It's running after
1: after me. Yes, yes. You've been good, Jesus.
0: can sing like that in the middle of a war you want to believe you need a song in your heart in the middle of whatever you're walking through you want to believe you need a song in your heart in the middle of whatever you're walking through oh lift up praise to the Lord God is in this room he's healing and touching and strengthening and lifting there's nobody like our Jesus there's nobody like our Jesus All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am made I will sing of the goodness of God Sing that again, all my life all my life you have been faithful. Yes, Jesus. All my life you have been so, so good. <laughs> With every breath that I am made Isn't that powerful, I will sing of the goodness. You got one more in you, sing it again. All my life, sing. All my life, you have been faith. Yes, you have, Jesus. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am made I will sing of the goodness of God.
1: <laughs> Whoa
0: Oh yes, 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 yes. Oh yes, 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 yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my. Why don't you just reach over to somebody standing near you and take them by the hand, put your hand on their shoulder. Let's pray one for another. You don't know what they may be walking through. You don't, may not know what their family's facing, but here's what I do know. Jesus will walk with them right through it. Jesus will sustain them in the middle of it. Jesus will bring them out of it. That's what I know. He's so good. He's so good. And He's with us. And He's for us. And He's in us. He's so good. Thank you, people of God. That's so beautiful. Thank you, Jesus, for your touch and your presence. Jesus. Oh, that's so beautiful.